guys hello and welcome back i'm jojo fraser it's time for a mojo injection episode 82 let's do this i'm all in and i'm thrilled to have you back here guys this week we're getting deep oh i love this chat and i think the timing for it is perfect as we go into a new year a new decade and we're all going to be hearing those thoughts of guilt what we didn't do well what we need to improve on um and this conversation is just a game changer so i have jillian mccollum and jillian is an intuitive eating health coach and a body positive yoga teacher based in edinburgh she's motivated by her own 15 year struggle with dieting and binge eating and negative body image she retrained in the very methods that helped her in her own recovery and intuitive eating and yoga i am really interested in this topic personally and i know a lot of you will be too So through Gillian's private coaching practice and yoga teaching, her mission is to help you find peace with food and body acceptance. Now that is something I want more of this year and I explore deeply in my next book. I made a choice and I'll be speaking about this at the event at the Wellbeing Weekend in the West End. I made a choice. I put my hands up and I said, I'm all out on drama and negativity and I'm all in on joy and peace. When you make that decision with good intentions, you start to change your approach to life. Um, There's still battles, of course, but you start to put yourself on a path where you think, right, what would love do? Okay, If, if the highest energy in the world is love, And it's the most powerful thing and it it can do incredible things for our well-being and our relationships then surely every day if you would say well am i doing what's right for my body am i doing what's right for my mind and and this conversation just really oh it challenges society the media it challenges all the behaviors and things that we've picked up and i love to be challenged because The truth hurts, but there's power in the truth too. And I always say to people, if we listen with an open mind, you know that famous film quote, you can't handle the truth. Yeah, it's time for the truth. It's not good enough for any other way. So let's keep it real. Right, I want to jump in, guys. I'm so glad you're here. You're going to get so much from this. So be all in with me. Before we jump, I'm going to give a massive shout out to our incredible supporters and I am thrilled, thrilled about this because I got a lot of love. Guys, I'm thrilled to be partnering up with Cam on Canning Street, which is a magical place. Um, It's a yoga and wellbeing studio with a real focus on community. I got to have some time there with my first book. We did a book club, it was amazing. It's full of great people. Quite a few of them have been on the podcast already, which is really exciting. And I'll be getting Katie, the founder of Cam on Canning Street on soon. So to celebrate and support their local community in Edinburgh, 
They organise an annual event called Wellbeing in the West End and along with other local businesses, they've put together a jam-packed schedule of yoga, pilates and meditation classes, sound baths, wellbeing workshops and talks. I'll be talking too, can't wait on the Sunday, to help you nurture yourself and discover new tools and techniques to help you look after your wellbeing in 2020 and beyond. What's even better is that every penny raised goes to two important local charities, the Rock Trust, who work tirelessly to support young people who are homeless or at risk of being homeless, and the Joshua Nolan Foundation, who work to support people at risk of suicide and provide counselling and other support. For full details about the schedule and to buy tickets, go to the Facebook page, Wellbeing in the West End. That will be happening next weekend on the 11th and 12th of January. I would love to see you there, guys. Right, let's jump in. I think we're rolling. Yeah, we're rolling. Right, Gillian, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for bringing cake. <laughs> You're welcome. It's I'm delicious. Trying to be intuitive, but it's not very easy because it's so tasty. I just want to shovel it down my mouth. I know. Um, but no, it, it's really good. I'm really excited for this conversation. Yeah. Um, food is a massive part of my life. Always has been. I write about it in the book. Writing to food and food writes back to me. Uh-huh. I, I mean, the thing is, we all need to eat to survive. Yep. So we all have a relationship with food. Yep. Um, but you were saying to me that you came from an interior design background, so yeah. let's, let's hear your story. Yeah, okay, so yeah, that I studied, gosh, 20 years ago now in interior design, that was what my degree was in, um, and really had a, a great career um, for almost 20 years, but um, probably all during that time, there was an underlying level of stress, which got bigger and bigger over the years and um, my response to that was dieting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it felt like maybe my food in my body is the one thing that I can control. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was also kind of masked under this veil of health as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, believing that the only way to pursue health was through weight loss. Mm -hmm. That was my, I didn't genuinely didn't know any other way. So that's, yeah, I would say probably when I graduated around about 2021 was really when I started hitting the dieting quite hard. I put on a bit of weight as I was a student, you know, just as students do. Mm-hmm. Having fun. Yeah. Drinking. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And I, I never learned to cook either, which, um, you know, didn't serve me very well in those early days, I have to say. Um, so really yeah, fun though. I bet you enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. And that's the thing, looking back, great times. Um, but certainly in terms of my sort of lifestyle behaviours, they really weren't serving me as I got further into my 20s. And, and really, I remember my 30th birthday and crying to my husband and just saying, I need to make some changes, you know, I'm just not happy. Um, I pursued my career so vigorously, I think probably to the detriment of my health. Um I know we weren't really using words back there, back then, like self-care, mm. but I had none, none of that at all. Um, I just was on this kind of mouse wheel of just success being, you know, 
having a husband, having a big house, having a car, having holidays, having a really good career. And that was my definition of success. And, and I was ticking all those boxes, but I felt rubbish about myself. Yeah, that's a powerful statement. You know, mm-hmm. just that underlying, just like, just not, not start beginning to not feel fulfilled in my career. That was one thing, but just not feeling good in myself. So, um, I also too was spending so many hours at the computer that I started to get a really sore back. So feeling, yeah. I you know that feeling. Um so I started um I went to the doctors and I got um referred to a physio and I used to really resent going to the physio because I had to take time off work, which tells you everything about like self-care. If you cannot take time off work to Go to your physio, like, what's that telling you? Your health comes um, at the bottom yeah, of the list because totally, you don't have time for your health. Totally. Just resented going, even though I needed it. Um, but anyway, thank thank goodness I did, because honestly, I wouldn't be here now. The, the physio said to me, you know, if you really hate coming here every week, why don't you just go to a yoga class? And I was like, yes, they've got they've got that at my gym. I could do that, because I could do that in the evening. Mm-hmm. So I started yoga, and it totally changed my life because it was the first time that I'd kind of connected with a way of moving that felt really good and felt peaceful to me okay do you know a peaceful is the only word that I can use it wasn't like don't get me wrong I was still like you know doing all the well there wasn't CrossFit back then but like um weights and like combat and all those quite aggressive kind of Mm. forms of aggressive to me anyway forms of movement um but yeah when I found yoga it was it was completely life-changing and it's quite simply to sort out my sore back which it did but my goodness it sent me on a completely sort of a journey that I never really expected ever to happen and it just had me questioning everything about my life <laughs> which sounds really profound it's funny because I actually I did a I was I was down visiting a friend of mine last weekend down in Newcastle who was having a bit of a hard time right now and she'd never done yoga so we did a yoga class and she started crying at the end of it and she have you ever done yoga in Shavasana in the final resting pose at the end where you just you just lie down and she was so embarrassed and even though we've been friends forever and she said to me how stupid crying at the end of an exercise class not at all and I said well firstly you've not just done an exercise class it's so much deeper than that but I don't think people realize that you know you're moving energy around your body all the stretching is like like a massage you're releasing so much um but anyway that's the kind of path that I went on with um with yoga I ended up um doing my yoga teacher training I qualified a couple of years ago um, and all of this was in Fife. I was living in Fife at the time. Um, and I really didn't realise how blessed I was with the teacher that I had and the people that I was training with. It was so diverse and so body accepting. Yeah. Um, which you would kind of find in the city, like Edinburgh, for instance, would be very diverse and, and sort of, you know, all different types of bodies. Mm-hmm. But... Um, I actually haven't found that. I found it not massively diverse when we come to yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, really blessed that where I trained and where I used to practice um, was in that environment. So um, I was still dieting during all of this. And, of course, there was this underlying thing of, like, 
this is what's going to make me thin, mm. right? Like every other diet, like every other... I was, I went off alcohol for a year. Oh. Like when you talk of the range of... Like when I talk to my clients about dieting, so I'm, I'm a health coach now, and we talk about dieting, you know, it can be so insidious. It's not just about like the paleo and the keto and the 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 low, low calorie diets like for me it went into like well if I stop drinking for a year that could be the answer yeah it's like you're because uh, the intention it's coming to what is the intention if the intention mm. is to lose weight but the intention should be to be happy surely. yeah yeah it's but um I tried all these different things it was even um really quite strictly vegan for a couple of years, um, which I would probably say was my last diet because I was like, that's what's going to make me thin. Uh-huh. Um, and <clears throat> it's funny because when I think of it, you know, as I said to you, embarking on weight loss as a proxy to health, it was making me more unhealthy than ever. As it's making millions of people. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I hear stories all the time, as I'm sure you do. Um, yeah. It's 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 not good enough no no it's so the the vision of health when you go down that route is so narrow um i often ask my clients you know if you were to define define health what what makes up your health i've had clients draw a circle and cut it in half and on one side say food and the other side say exercise but you know more than anyone how sort of multi-dimensional health is right um and I think we can get so fixated on the food part and think that, you know, it's all about the food. And, and that was certainly me. And, and it wasn't just my physical health that suffered. Weirdly, you know, I went into that to try and reduce stress and trying to like raise my energy levels and, and stabilize my mood. And actually all those things deteriorated quite severely, um, mental health, emotional health. And then as a side thing I started binge eating and emotional eating and getting all these disordered behaviors like layering on top of that mm-hmm. um and that you know I was in that cycle for a really really long time and couldn't really see a way out of it and, and don't I have to say yoga definitely helped with that because it kind of brings you back to yourself and what your beliefs and your values are. Um, it's that calm, quiet place where you can, you know, I've got a print up behind us about when you're silent, that's when the soul speaks. Yeah. You, you tap into that place that you can't get to from your head. Yeah. It's almost like our minds is poison. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we, we need it and it can be great and creative and, but there's so, there's so many layers to it. You know, the ego kicks in and it, it can yeah. become this monster Yeah, and we're so noisy and it's not until you have those still moments in yoga and nature mm-hmm. and whatever your place is yeah. that that's probably why your friend, she just got the download there yeah. and then, and then she starts crying because, yeah. you know, I've been there. Yeah. If you're in pain, Go to yoga, mm-hmm. go to meditate, yeah. go to pray, go to whatever you can do to help sort out in here yeah. because it's almost like there's a war between the mind and the soul. I think. Totally. And, I, and and when it comes to intuitive eating, which is what I, you know, the place that I got to with my food, you're absolutely right. This this war between sort of mind and mind and body, right? Mm-hmm. So so with dieting during that whole time with my sort of dieting times, it's your head that's running the show, right? Mm-hmm. Your head running the show, and I just felt like somebody had cut me off from the neck. Like mm-hmm. I couldn't feel my body. I'd know I could feel the pain in my back, but apart from that, I had no. 
I had no feeling of connection with my body whatsoever. Mm. Um, so it's when I ditched the diet and started, I, so I started intuitive eating before I knew it was a thing, before I knew it was actually a formal practice that you can train in and that you can actually, you know, um, you can practice in a much more sort of methodical way than, than I did. I, I was just trying to, it was just like, I'm done with the diets, I'm going to eat whatever I want to eat. Um, and, and to a degree, I mean, you know, I had to go through that process, but um, to find intuitive eating, but now it's, I understand it's a lot more nuanced than that. Mm-hmm. It's not just about ditch the diet and eat whatever you want. Um, it's it's a, a, a much more... Um, strategic and methodical practice Mm -hmm. Um, and I say practice because it's kind of like yoga and meditation in that unlike diets right where you have a start point and you have a goal and it's very linear and it's very black and white this is a practice that you just do every day and there is no end and some days it goes well and other days not so well but um you kind of let, for me anyway I say to my clients you know when you when you work on your relationship with food you're actually working on a lot of other life lessons like trust and mm-hmm. like acceptance mm-hmm. um so yeah it's a great it's a great sort of um way of looking at food and and that's what I would say it is it's not it's not about your actual behavior although a lot of my clients come to me because their behavior is causing them distress um and become an intuitive eater definitely or practicing intuitive eating definitely um helps change behaviors but it starts with your mindset yeah like that's the mind it's the mindset piece do you think the key issue is a safety with food because you know i've explored this a lot and tried to put my spin on it in the book is you know, I I grew up loving food. There was no negative. You know, the hypnotism. You know, everything that I tried, it 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 just showed that I love food. Like mm-hmm. I'm a foodie. Mm-hmm. I love. You know, when you brought these amazing cakes, let's shout out to is it black? What black, black rabbit? Black yeah. rabbit. Just <laughs> absolutely stunning vegan cakes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just enjoying. I'm not feeling guilty. I'm thinking, but we'll get to the intuitive side. Um, mm. But I'm just like, enjoy. And I'd never do it to punish myself. Yeah. But then looking back over the years, I've lost the balance sometimes. I've eaten if I'm lonely, I've eaten mm-hmm. if I'm, you know, a bit bored. I've eaten to reward myself. So say I do a speaking gig and it goes amazingly yeah. well. I'm driving home going, curry, naan and rice. Baby. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking where I picked this up. Now, partly yeah. my mom was brought up in rations. Yeah. Right? So she's always going on about food, food, food. So important. Never leave anything on your plate. Um, food was such a, a a special thing to have. I mean, she cooked mm-hmm. everything from scratch when mm-hmm. we grew up, but she always went on about food. And I just remember thinking, oh, food is like the ultimate prize. It's ultimate, you know, to be able to eat. Mm-hmm. So I have this real positive celebration yeah. that I've carried. And then sometimes over the years, I just lack the balance. And I find that, oh, none of my clothes fit me. I'm feeling bloated. I'm not feeling like myself. Yeah. I've overindulged. Yeah. But then the plate of food will be there. And I'm going to take more like my subconscious mind. I'm just doing it, even though I'm saying, wait a second, I'm not deep in my soul here. I don't yeah. need that. I'm all in my head. Greed, greed, greed. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And what, you know, what that really um, 
reinforces is that food is inherently emotional, right? Mm -hmm. It's inherently emotional. And that's why I get really frustrated when I hear people say, you know, food is just fuel and you should just eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full and that's it. And a lot of people can make intuitive eating into the hunger and fullness diet because it is about um, that mind-body connection, connecting with your, your body's authentic needs and desires physically and emotionally but a lot of people just concentrate on the physical side and turn it into another diet of eat when you're hungry stop when you're full but we are you know as I say food is inherently emotional as you say you're like as a child you're raised around food in times of celebration and mm. um, in times of comfort mm. and even as adults weddings funerals birthdays mm. there's food involved with all of those things mm. so I think to um, you know dismiss food as something that is emotional is actually um, a bit misguided and ineffective as well because as I see in the work that I do, um, particularly working with people who's trying to move past binge eating and emotional eating, one of the biggest things, that, the mistakes that you can make, and it's it's the, 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 the reason why diets don't work, is that there has to be a level of satisfaction with food. Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to find satisfaction in food. Mm-hmm. And if you restrict food in terms of quantity or you restrict food in terms of types of foods that you enjoy Mm -hmm. what's going to happen eventually you're going to crack you're going to fall off the wagon and you're going to have it anyway Mm -hmm. but you're likely to have it in a way that feels shameful or guilty or secret eating or eating you know i mean cake for instance a classic one like i know a lot of people that just wouldn't eat a cake on their own like go out sit in a cafe order a cake and eat it because Mm. there's this shameful thing about it you're not displaying any sense of shame here which i love (laughs) i wish you guys could see george's face Mm. right now i love cake yeah i did a a campaign a few years ago body positive one yeah and it was around the time embrace came out Mm -hmm. you know the yeah yeah um by the aussie girl yeah um and it was saying teaching my kids always make time for cake in your life mm-hmm. always make time never turn it down and it had a really big reaction i think it got people on an emotional level because mm-hmm. we're restricting too much now there's a balance i can't just say to my mm-hmm. kids eat cake all day every day yeah and um, they know they should move their bodies and we really need our veggies and all of that yeah. we need our vitamins but at the same time i don't want my daughter or my son because let's face it it impacts all genders yeah. we're all human um, growing up with this fear of food that mm-hmm. I see so often, this yeah. deep-rooted fear. And I'm thinking where it comes from. You know, I was chatting with someone who struggles with eating. Well, I've spoken with quite a lot of people this year about it, but someone recently, this desire to be thin. Mm-hmm. And it was really inspiring uh, hearing what they want to do with the, the kind of mental health issues they have around food. Yeah. But I was sort of challenging the person and saying, where, where did this come from, this, this need to be then mm-hmm. is it because we all hear the media and mm-hmm. we know how subtle it can be and mm-hmm. you know you, you see body shaming on national tv mm-hmm. there was someone quite recently i shared about someone saying like you know putting real shame into it yeah and we know with all addictions or lack of balance shame is the worst thing we can do it's not about that it's about the emotional underneath the surface yeah, right yeah so i'm thinking is it these subtle digs in the media that you have to look perfect all the time or is it does it go deeper than that where do you think it comes from i think you're right i think it's a few things and that's definitely one of them but i think um 
this is my take. I, I don't know how much um, fact or truth is in this, but I think if you look over the years, so this is something I get my clients to do a lot. If you try and put where we are right now as a culture and a society into context and look back over the years, so dieting maybe started, let's say, arguably about 100 years ago, but the 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 beauty ideal that's kind of hailed as being you know the standard always seems to be what is least attainable at the time mm-hmm. so in the days of food scarcity right yeah. being in a larger body was hailed as beautiful yeah because mm-hmm. it was a sign of wealth and it was the most difficult type of body um, to have mm-hmm. during times of food scarcity whereas now we have such abundance of food um, that it's quite difficult to actually like as you say in the media and, and the models and actresses that you see that's a very unattainable body for most people right powerful statement I've never heard anyone put that spin on it and I like that a lot yeah. yeah, I mean, it, there's obviously lots of other other things that go go into it, but for me, I I just think you know we're the 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 thin ideal that's heralded as as you know the standard that we're all trying to or or you know aspiring to to attain, um, it's so unachievable. And when you look at the statistics of dieting, the fact that like ninety five percent of diets fail, mm-hmm. um. I think a, th- a third of people that lose weight put it back on and more. Oh, yeah. So it shows you, and, and also connected with how the, 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 the profit of the, so money, right? The profit mm-hmm. of the, the weight loss industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember the exact statistics, but right now it's sitting at roughly about $190 billion per annum. Um, that's no coincidence, you know? It's... Um, I actually went out yesterday, I was telling you, I I, um, I went to the Procurator Fiscal's office, the Crown office, to give a, a talk to um, some female lawyers. And I uh, I wish I had it with me now, actually, but it was a, a Naomi Wolf quote from her book, The Beauty Myth. Mm-hmm. And it was basically saying how, I chose that quote specifically for them, because it was basically saying, you know, women are more... Um, liberated, more powerful, more um, money, more legal recognition than any time before in history. But physically, we've never felt more rubbish about ourselves. I love that. Yeah, there was a stat. 5% of women in the UK are unhappy with their weight. Yeah, yeah. And so that statistics, an up-to-date statistic, that was 2018. But that quote, that quote that I saw ineloquently just gave there um that was written 30 years ago that book the beauty myth was written in 1990 no way and you just think my point being like how far have we come from then not sure we've come that far has it actually gotten even worse um but you're right this is where this is where it all starts most of the time i don't work with women who has an issue with food if they don't have an issue with their body right if you're okay with your body and you're okay with how you look, which is the 5%, you probably won't have a, you, you know, a, a toxic relationship with food. Mm-hmm. You're probably likely to be, quote-unquote, a normal eater mm-hmm. that doesn't suffer from any of the kind of um, symptoms of disordered eating. So what would you say to someone who just loves food and they would like to, they feel like they're overweight, or perhaps a doctor said to them, you're overweight, you could do lose a couple of stone or something, but yeah. they just struggle so much. Yeah, 
I mean, that in itself is really, really problematic because, um, you know, not getting on my, I'm going to try and not get on my high horse here with it, but there is no known way of losing weight and sustaining it over the long term. That evidence doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about evidence-based medicine, Mm -hmm. anybody prescribing weight loss is not arguably is not following ethical practice. And I know that's a really bold statement because we are in the middle of a quote-unquote obesity crisis. Mm -hmm. But you have to ask yourself, how much are we in control of our weight? Mm -hmm. Looking at the statistics, it would suggest that we're actually not in control Mm -hmm. for the most part of our weight. Um, And actually by trying to change it causes more problems than it solves. So um, working in the intuitive eating world, um, I work under a bigger umbrella called um, this concept of health at every size. And that doesn't mean you are automatically healthy at every size, but it means that really what's important is healthful behaviours. And weight is really just a side product of that. It's a byproduct. Um, If you want to pursue health, Mm -hmm. you can pursue health independently of weight loss. Mm -hmm. And that's what I discovered for sure, that if I pursued things like joyful movement Uh and um, I allowed myself to really eat um, whatever foods I wanted, I wasn't eating cake every day. I wasn't eating chocolate every day because I took it down off the pedestal. Uh You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a forbidden fruit any longer. Yes. Um, We talk about this thing called um, food neutrality, meaning all food, although is nutritionally different, Mm -hmm. morally they're the same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't make you a better person if you have the broccoli. It doesn't make me a worse person if I have the cake. And what what we find is now that we are well we're about 20 almost 30 years on from when intuitive eating was was formalized as a approach or an intervention if you want to call it by two american dietitians we're now at the point that over 100 studies have been done on the intuitive eating approach and what we find is all the markers of health are better mm-hmm. so we find things like if if and I'm, I'm i don't buy into bmi but if that is um if you see that as a as a um a true marker of health bmi is lower in intuitive eaters cholesterol blood pressure all these things mm-hmm. um, and mental health, all the markers of, of, of um, better mental health is higher yeah. than intuitive eaters. Mm-hmm. More self-esteem, um, greater sense of um, joy, particularly when it comes to movement uh-huh. and enjoying food. Intuitive yeah. eaters enjoy food uh-huh. more than dieters because dieters fear food. Yeah, but the actual process where you're teaching mm-hmm. someone to eat intuitively mm-hmm. is, uh, I, I mean... How can you, where do you even start with that? Is it saying, right, how do you know when you're listening to your body and you know you're full? And yeah, yeah. To... I mean, that, that broadly speaking, that that's what it is. It's about, we talked earlier about the mind-body um, connection. The way I like to talk about it is getting back into relationship with your body. Mm-hmm. So um, understanding, like hunger and fullness, the body signals. Um, but that's it in a very simplistic form. There's a there's a lot more. Our bodies are talking to us all the time, mm-hmm. um, and the longer time that we choose not to listen or indeed not respond, 
the more those signals dampen down and that disconnection starts to happen. So it's learning the language of your body, getting back in touch with it, bringing your body into the conversation when you're making choices around food. Okay. So dieters make choices around food from the head, right? I should have this, I shouldn't have this. Mm-hmm. I can't have the cake because I had cake yesterday. Or I'm not going to the gym tonight, so I can't have the cake. Yeah. It's all the shoulds and shouldn'ts and this, this kind of mental battle going on in the mind. But actually, what about the body? Yeah. What's the body want? Yeah, you know? Okay. So it's not about giving all the power to the body, but it's certainly taking all the power away from the mind and it's more of a, a relationship, it's more of a dialogue. Um and how I approach that with clients is that um the intuitive eating framework that I mentioned that was pioneered by the these two American dietitians, um there's ten principles of intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. Um, so I navigate these principles with my clients and they are supposed to be navigated in a very specific order Mm -hmm. Um, and the very first one is reject diet mentality so everything we've been sitting here we've already got through step number one Mm -hmm. um, because it's just about recognizing um, what you know certainly when clients come to me they already know that the dieting world has been a very negative experience for them both physically emotionally mentally um so that that is is we're kind of past phase one by the time clients come to me and then the next one is for instance honoring your hunger eating when you're hungry Mm -hmm. not suppressing hunger Mm -hmm. um and it goes on from there there's there's 10 in total but it does include some body image work it includes as i say joyful movement Mm -hmm. it includes basic nutrition as well because a lot of the time you know i have clients i have two sets of clients i have ones that come to me that have more nutritional knowledge than I was going to say a nutritionist, but actually it's not evidence-based nutrition. They know it's everything they've picked up from every diet and every bit of media. And they've created all these very weird rules around food. So there's that kind. And then there's another kind of client who just doesn't understand that if they are eating what I call diet foods like um, rice cakes and um, fizzy water just so that it fills them up. You know, these suppressants of like... Food and drink that doesn't taste well. I actually like fizzy water, but like generally things that are gonna um, fill them up. So like, mm. you know, you'll have heard people say like, "Are you hungry or are you just thirsty?" Maybe you should drink a pint of water and see if you're still hungry. Uh-huh. And that may well be the case. You may well be thirsty, um, but a lot of the times these things are are undertaken as a way of of trying to suppress hunger. Mm. But um, biology always wins. So if you're hungry meet your needs, you know, yeah. and what that may prevent is things like binge eating and emotional eating in the long run. Ah, uh, because you're, you're sort of satisfied, you're giving yourself yeah. what, because I've been here in days yeah. where you're so busy and you can feel your stomach rumbling, yeah. but you're so engrossed in your work and achieving, yeah. and, and then you're like, my stomach's rumbling, I'm really, really hungry, I need to eat. Uh, and then perhaps if you've not and you've skipped a meal or something and then you, you go to town later that day, well, yeah. I know I'm more likely to. I'm thinking, well, I didn't really have lunch and it's been a busy day, so I'll have yeah. that cake and I'll yeah. have that extra bit yeah. pasta. So it's a slippery slope, yeah. isn't it? And, and recognising what those signs of hunger are, because I think a lot of people wait until they are too hungry, like you're describing, mm-hmm. and you're so ravenous that you'll eat anything, you'll eat it quickly, mm-hmm. you know, you probably won't chew it, and then you'll probably eat beyond the point of fullness or at yeah. least comfortable fullness 
Um, and I'm, it's not to say that you know that can be prevented every single time, but recognizing that if it's a regular behaviour, okay. um, for me it was it was both sides of the deprivation coin. It was not eating enough, but also what I was eating wasn't food that I enjoyed. It was food that that dieters ate, right. and I would I would I'm not kidding. For the best part of fifteen years, I would wake up in the morning. I'd set out on the counter the food that I was going to eat that day because where my office was, you couldn't really go out and buy any food, so you had to take your food with you. And I would look at it on the counter and I'd be like, yeah, that's an adequate amount of food for the day. It was adequate for a dieter. It wasn't really adequate. Mm-hmm. I would take it and it would be done before lunchtime. Mm-hmm. I would starve all afternoon. Horrible. But of course, I didn't deserve to eat because I'd had all the food in the morning and I was so greedy, you know. And then I would literally like walk through the door the front door would probably still be open my coat would still be on and I'd be in the fridge yeah yeah. and I'd be eating out of the fridge Uh and it's like and it I mean I was in that pattern for years Mm -hmm. and I didn't understand what why am I so greedy why like I need to stop this this is so terrible the guilt the shame and the judgment Uh but actually I just physically hadn't eaten enough during the day and what I had eaten wasn't satisfying and then I had this quite sort of aggressive binge, mm-hmm. you know, and that's really how it happens. Um, your biology is going to win mm-hmm. every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need to look after our bodies. We need yeah. we need fuel. Yeah. Um, but fuel, as you're saying, that we enjoy. Yeah, and 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 so what's physically going to fuel you? Yes, we need fruit. We need vegetables. We need. Uh, proteins we need fats we need all the kind of balance to keep our energy levels up and our moods and you know allow us to do all the things that we want to do but we also need emotional satisfaction from food because if you don't get it mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna like hang on to the side of the cliff for as long as you can mm-hmm. and then you're gonna fall and you're yeah. gonna fall into the cake you know it's you, just... i know it's, it's interesting <laughs> do you have research to suggest why people are drawn to certain foods so it, it, could it be from childhood comforting memories or why people are scared of certain foods? I heard someone say they couldn't eat a baked potato because it felt so stodgy in their mm, stomach. And I'm thinking, yeah. I thought that was a really, a lot of dieters would tell you to eat yeah. baked potatoes. Yeah, that's interesting language that you use, like stodgy in your stomach. And, and I, I recognise that kind of language a lot from, from my clients. And I ask them to kind of expand on that. And often it's maybe just the fear of feeling full Mm. and the fear of actually as your stomach does expand when you've eaten a lot of food or certain food so you know I wouldn't use the word stodgy but I know that's a lot of the language that my clients would um, and trying to sort of unpick why that fear of fullness and often and often it's trauma from past dieting like Mm. that's often what it comes down to um, but how, in terms of evidence to suggest how you're drawn to certain foods, it it maybe exists, but I I don't I don't know of it. I'm not familiar of it. But yeah, you're probably right. It will stem somewhere from childhood, I would guess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, food brings us comfort, and if we've been raised and your mum would make you soup when you weren't feeling well, or would bake you a cake at your birthday, like course those are going to hold really good memories so you're going to be drawn to them when you are needing to care for yourself or soothe yourself in a certain way yeah there's a lot of power with our memories isn't there yeah. and it can really impact our behaviors yeah 
Because we all want, I mean, what does joy mean to you? Because we all want to experience joy, but there's so much yeah. in our heads and in society that can yeah. get in the way of that. Yeah, I mean, certainly when it comes to um, food, you said at the very beginning of this conversation, you just love food. I love food too. You know, it's, it, 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 it is one of the, the pleasures and the joy in my life. And so it should be. But it's not the only way mm-hmm. that I get joy and pleasure. And I mm-hmm. think that's where the, the difference is. Yeah. And being able to diversify where we get joy and pleasure from. Yeah. And I, I often think of it like... Um, you know, sometimes when you meet somebody and, and, you know, a friend, let's say, and they're pinning all their emotional needs on their partner, they're wanting their partner to be their friend, their lover, their, you know, knight in shining armour, all the things. Whereas really we know in order to kind of have a, a balanced, healthy, fulfilling life, you get different things from different people, right? Absolutely. From your, your partner girlfriends, can't be everything. Your can't be everything. It's the same with food, you know? Mm-hmm. It can't be, a, well, from, I, I don't believe anyway, it can be 100% of joy. And if it is, it's going to be a fairly limited life. Mm-hmm. And it's not bashing emotional eating because that can be the only coping mechanism that people have for a long time. It was my only coping mechanism for a really long time, but it can lead to quite a limited life. So it's about finding other ways that bring you joy. Um, For me, yoga and meditation are two ways that that really bring me um, joy. And um, travel. Travel lights my soul like nothing else. It's wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. There's a real feeling of there's so much more to life and you see what's going on and you're out in nature and it's just it's just magical. Yeah. What brings you joy? Oh, so much. Uh, writing conversations like this, you know, that are very real and raw and inspirational. Um uh, my, my family of course and friends music mm-hmm. food as I've yeah. said um, travel reading I, I think reading allow you know it gives us that opportunity to, to be in with someone else's mind yeah. and their yeah. crazy inspirational thoughts so I love reading yeah. I read all the time but it's, I'm like writing to keep writing as well yeah. <laughs> gotta yeah. get this next book ready but uh, it's, but it's enjoying as you say it's not putting the guilt in the shade because people are like, you finished yet you finished yet and I'm like I'm really enjoying yeah. this process like yeah. it will be finished but you know I'm not going to just stop my podcast I'm not just going to stop spending time with my kids and my family mm-hmm. I'm not going to stop cooking and do yeah the book's coming but I want to enjoy, and I am enjoying it, yeah. you know, and yeah. there is only so many hours yeah. in the day. So it's-, it's so interesting, that that what you've just said is real front of mind topic for me right now about enjoying process, because we can get so caught up in the end point, right, and getting to the end point, and I will feel joy when, mm-hmm. right, I will feel joy when it's finished, because it will be a, it will be a weight off your shoulders, and it will be such a sense of achievement when it's done. But we don't, and I think as kids, you're not encouraged to enjoy the journey. It's all about the end point. Um, And I see that a lot in my clients. They embark on the intuitive eating journey like a diet when it's like, right, what sort of timescale am I looking at before I become an intuitive eater? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, we need to to start looking at everything as a learning experience. You know, and what, and rather than, so getting back to the guilt and the shame, rather than 
going, okay, I've eaten that cake, I've eaten far too much, I feel really uncomfortable in my stomach. Mm -hmm. Rather than inflicting uh, judgment and and, um, shame onto that and guilt, well, what can I learn from that, you know? Well, actually... I was recording this podcast with the Jojo and the cake was so delicious that I just wanted to eat it. There's no guilt or shame. But really, if, you know, if it did bring me distress, then it would be, well, what can I learn from that? Maybe that size of cake's too much for me in one sitting. Yeah. I have it and keep the rest for later, you know. Yeah, I'm planning to That's leave some. That's what I can learn. Yeah, I'm planning to leave some for Hubs or the kids, but they're not got that much left because it's so good. <laughs> but I'll try intuitively to leave that a little bit. Um, <laughs> but no, I... That's a really good point, actually. You know, I like that about the learning and the the process and and the curiosity. And we, you know, we lose that um, as we as we become adults. We're just so focused on on the goal. So that's what I try and help my clients with. Anyways, is trying to sort of learn and be curious and explore and get to know ourselves rather than just inflicting that judgment on our behaviors yeah the word judgment really i always say on here judge less live more ideally the goal would be to don't judge yeah um i know that's hard we are wired to judge yeah we are judgmental beings yeah we are but it doesn't have to be that way that's not good enough either so i think challenging these status quos and say you know actually no if we just accept certain things yeah. we're always going to be that way so yeah. when we challenge and we start to be curious oh that's really interesting that i'm feeling judgmental I wonder yeah. why that is yes i wonder why i'm feeling like judging that person i yes. wonder what's happened in my life to trigger yes. that yes. you know starting to really i wonder why i got so upset there what was going on? Yeah. So living a life, and a lot of that comes down to mindfulness. And yeah, I agree. And I agree. Um, and being able to take that step back, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the conversations that I have with clients is, you know, I, I, you know, one of the things I hear all the time is, um, I just had a really fat day. You know, mm. a feeling of fat, just a fat day. Well, well firstly, fat isn't a feeling, but but mm-hmm. nonetheless, I understand the. This, this sort of premise there and again it's about okay well if we can take the judgment and, and, and the, the the shame away from that what's actually going on what can we learn from that mm. and a lot of the time you know I always say we wouldn't feel that way if we lived on a desert island on our own mm-hmm. you know the size of our bodies is only really front of mind because we live in a society with other people yeah um if we lived alone would we know really the difference between fat and thin and what the connotations are mm-hmm. um and i'm using the fat in the the word fat in i think you had this conversation with with danny gordon yeah, before it's so interesting that's not something we, yeah. we all have ears we all have fat yeah just... i'm using it as a neutral descriptor not a not a slur but um you know what what really does it mean so i have clients really look at you know what their biases and their judgments are around fat because a lot of the time our eating behaviors are the way they are because we we either feel fat and are uncomfortable in that body or we fear becoming fat Um, and that's understandable because we don't treat fat people fairly in this world Um, you know we we treat them as if that's you know a failure on their behalf Mm -hmm. when often you know there's so many other things at play Mm -hmm. Um, once you can accept your it's in the intuitive eating world it's what we call um, weight set point theory so it's this idea that we're all born with a genetic you know weight that's predetermined in our dna and it's a weight range um 
often between sort of 15 to 20 pound range and that that set point changes throughout your life Mm -hmm. but trying to trying to make your body something different from what your set point is so Mm -hmm. for instance your goal weight Mm -hmm. um it's that sort of um disparity between those two weights that causes um pain and Mm -hmm. suffering um to to a degree whereas if we can really just accept our set point weight Mm -hmm. and engage in healthful behaviors um then we can live a more peaceful life so genetically so i'm very my mum has always been very very petite and people would say to her all the time oh look at your body you know sweeping statements that we don't think about oh look at you you've got six pack and you've had three kids and all this stuff and my dad I I would say I'm quite like my dad if I'm thinking genetically yeah all our weight would go on our sort of middle we've got very sort of slender legs and arms and things Mm -hmm. so does that mean genetically I'm I should I'm like my dad and I've got a similar body shape yeah probably I mean certainly you know our 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 body shape is determined um by genetics but more so um more so your weight mm-hmm. and that might not just be from your parents but further down your family um line so it's really just about um not trying to to fight that mm-hmm. and accept that is what it is and how can you still live a very healthful life mm-hmm. um in the body that you have been gifted right so some but so if you were to say right genetically i'm supposed to be this way hmm. but you were to eat a certain amount so but then i was to say right i'm to be this way but then i was to starve i guess that's i'm just trying to work it in my head if i was to eat like a thousand calories yeah. less yeah So you wouldn't be engaging in healthful behaviours. So we only exist at our set point weight when we are not starving ourselves. And also when we're not engaging in binge eating and emotional eating and and all those Uh behaviours. When we have a quote-unquote normal relationship with food, Uh um, you're likely to settle at your set point weight. Interesting. Because that's something I think about a lot. Like there's been periods, you know, that I'm thinking, I feel like I am healthy with food i feel like overall i eat what my body craves and then and sometimes i'll hear my mind say well why are you not smaller because you're eating well and you it's not like you're so my mind is telling me yeah why aren't you like why aren't you a size whatever yeah why don't you look like that person in the magazine because you're not yeah so what but if you and i were to be let's say put in a prison cell for a year mm-hmm. and we were both given exactly the same food to eat and we were both given the exact same amount of movement to do mm-hmm. our bodies would be different mm-hmm. body diversity exists yeah you know and that's why um i get so upset about things like bmi mm-hmm. because it's treating everyone you know it, it basically saying that if everyone engages in healthful behaviors we're all going to be the same size yeah, yeah um okay. and so so it's it's denying that body diversity exists mm-hmm. and that can be culturally as much as anything else yeah. you know you look at, at people from different parts of the world and they have um different different heights different eye colors different skin color different hair color it's the same with body size you know we're not we're not robots we are all different and and beautifully so yeah you said it much better than i ever could (laughs) i like that that explains it really well and and that's actually landed quite nicely just to 
because body diversity it is a thing and there's not yeah. enough awareness about that and there is so much yeah. judgment yeah something i heard recently uh, got me thinking because i've got quite a big bust <laughs> and I, I get backache and i, I yeah. the anxiety tells me oh you've got some disease or you know and you start me out my head oh um and uh, i'm thinking i was googling how how much do boobs weigh and i was getting a mixture from like I'm sure I read it could be twenty-five pounds. My wow, yeah. And then they were doing it in animals, and I'm yeah. going, "Oh, I'm a small rhino." I can't remember what. It was quite <laughs> yeah. substantial, yeah, yeah. And I often carry my four-year-old up hills because he's quite—I oh, don't know. I'm probably too soft, but <laughs> mummy, I can't walk. I got and I can't go. Charlie, this is really sore. Yeah. And and then people say, well, have you ever considered getting a bus reduction? Mm-hmm. I don't know, well, no, but they were, it got me thinking. Yeah. Like, that's a lot to yeah, carry. Yeah. What about, because that, that conversation is actually really similar to a, a body weight sort of question in that, um, let's say, I can't walk up the hill because I am a certain weight. Mm-hmm. Um, therefore, the only option is weight loss or surgery, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say. Well, what about if you look at actually, rather than going, I always say to my clients, rather than going via the bus stop of weight loss, which is what I did, mm-hmm. very similar to what you're seeing, rather than going via the bus stop of a breast reduction, what can you do independently to try and help that situation? And what I would say to you, and I know this because it's so dear to my heart, I said to you earlier in the conversation, I found yoga because I went to a physio because I had a sore back Mm -hmm. and that was entirely it because of the size of my chest Mm -hmm. and because I'm quite tall as well, leaning over my desk like Mm -hmm. towards my computer Mm -hmm. and that was exactly where I found right where the bra strap kind of lands on your back, which is really painful because of that weight on the front of the body Um, and rather than getting a breast reduction, I found yoga and I strengthened my back. I love that. So that's maybe... Did you ever get it in the night as well? Because sometimes when I'm lying down, I'm thinking, why am I getting that tingling sensation? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <sighs> so a lot of a lot of back bends, a lot of back strengthening work. I think I, I've never really engaged in Pilates much, but I understand Pilates is really great for that as well. Okay. So it's like looking at how can we how can we do something positive to actually address that symptom yeah. without feeling like the only option is to change our body. Yeah, because I don't want to go under the knife. No, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> you know, I've had an emergency C-section, and yeah. that was more than enough. Yeah. Um. So that's a really interesting yeah. way of looking at it. So yoga and uh, the other things we'll Pilates, talk about or maybe even strength training in the gym. You know, yeah. um, I, I I started working with a PT a little while back to try and um, I'd never had a really healthy relationship with the gym because I'd always it it always been a route to weight loss for me, or or if not weight loss, tr- trying to change my body, and mm. I always saw the gym through that lens. Mm. So that was always my motivation. So guess what? I would like. When I was motivated, I would do it. And when I wasn't, I wouldn't, which is diet culture for you. But now if you can if you can change the way that you look at m- movement, I prefer to call it, and try and focus on all the other benefits of it. Mm-hmm. And I think strength t- training is a really great one because it's one of the few things that doesn't sort of insinuate you could do this better if you're thin. Yeah. You know, yeah. like it's kind of if you want to do strength training, you're going to have to eat and you're going to have to show up and work hard and none of it is in pursuit of weight loss, you yeah, know? Yeah, it's just stronger. So, it's... yeah, so getting stronger and, and, and I don't know, maybe that would help, you know, strengthening your, your back in order to carry the weight on the front. Yeah. 
all I'm saying is it's an option to explore, you know, mm-hmm. um, rather than automatically going to the, my body's wrong, it's a problem, how I can know. I change it? I know, because I've heard people say, well, if you lose weight, you'll lose it on your, your boobs. And I'm going, well, I, one, I don't know that. And two, that's not really, you know, the sort of thinking process yeah. I want to go down. It's, yeah. you know, I want to be healthy. Yeah. I want to be strong. Yeah. I want to be happy. Yeah. <laughs> So don't we all oh this is so interesting and um i wanted to ask you about you are are you about to celebrate or you've just celebrated 15 years of marriage yeah um two weeks ago congratulations thank you yeah both deserve medals well marriage is hard you know i have divorce lawyers on here i don't know if you heard oh she's a great girl that debbie yeah um and uh that was the seven year itch and then we had the eight year rash Mm -hmm. did you have the eight year rash yeah yeah, that was just recently. Yeah. Um, so we're heading for nine next year. Not that we're wishing the life away, but uh, I love writing about relationships. And yeah. The chapter yeah. in my first book, My Husband Is Not My Prince, because uh, mm-hmm. it was this realisation, as you were saying earlier, yeah. about, you know, we we can get joy. We can we can put the joy pressure on food or my partner. And, and yeah. I think a lot of that I did carry from films I'd watched, perhaps yeah. messages I'd heard, subtle yeah things that you pick up I just had this overwhelming desire to get married and to settle down and that this prince was going to make everything okay, okay yeah. and then I realized that actually no this is really hard mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we love each other but we really sometimes don't like each other and <laughs> yeah. um, so yeah. I'd love to hear your wisdom of what's oh my goodness you. I'm not sure if it's wisdom and I I, I do feel immensely lucky that we have both over I mean we've been married 15 years but we've been together 20 um so I was a I was a child I like to remind him um (laughs) when we got together but um yeah I feel lucky that we've both really really grown as people Mm -hmm. um over that time I mean as you would naturally anyway but I think we've both really invested in personal growth over the years and I think I see so many other couples where you can when you go on that journey you can start to sort of um veer down different paths Mm -hmm. um I feel very fortunate that we I wouldn't say we're on the same path but our paths have 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 gone in parallel to one another during that whole time so I feel really fortunate for that and and honestly I don't I don't think that's anything other than than sheer luck um to be honest Mm -hmm. but I think um one of the things that we try hard to do is to be kind to one another, mm-hmm. which sounds incredibly simple, but when you're cohabiting with someone day in and day out, mm-hmm. it can be real as you say, you can love them, but it can be really hard to be kind sometimes. Yeah, I can. Um and we don't we don't have the added pressure of children, so I think maybe maybe that's our secret. I don't know. That's a lot of pressure. That's our secret. But um yeah, just trying to trying to be kind and, and also having your own I think it's really important just not to lose your sense of self when yeah. you are in partnership. Um my husband's a photographer and he's really passionate about that and he's gone on his own journey with mental health and, and finding his purpose in life and that's really helped him um, and at the same time he's been really open-minded to things like yoga and meditation which you know I know, I know a lot of men aren't mm-hmm. um, but he's been really open to that and finding tools that help um, him and um, yeah I've been on, on my own journey and we just support 
each other in as much as we can. So it's, you know, things are never always perfect, as you know, in marriages, like they really aren't. But um, if you can, I think it's just trying to keep things in perspective as to, you know, some days you, you can get really upset about something and it's about coming back to like, what's important? Is this really important that I'm freaking out about right now yeah and often it's not I know you know picking your <laughs> battles not. isn't it yeah I'm trying to laugh about it yeah oh gosh laughters I would uh, thanks for the reminder because I would say definitely not so much now I'd like to think I've lightened up a little bit <laughs> but for so long particularly when I was in my interior design degree uh interior design career I I took myself way too seriously for sure mm-hmm. Um, and my husband was always a great reminder because he takes li- he he takes life quite lightly. Mm-hmm. You know, he sees the humour in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been a great reminder for me over the years. And it's something that don't get me wrong has has kind of irritated me at times mm-hmm. when I'm trying to be serious about mm-hmm. things. And and you know, I've got something that I really need to talk through. But it's a blessing actually just to have somebody in your life that reminds you that it's not all that serious and if you can find laughter somewhere along the line then so <laughs> it's great so important yeah. uh, just to laugh and uh and, and there's times you can be it feels like you're on different vibrations you know you've got uh, tuning into a different radio station because you perhaps you've had different days or weeks or you know and it's, it's about as you say try and grow together yeah and that could be hard yeah be really hard so to i love talking. that analogy the two different radio stations i've never thought of it that way but yeah you're right yeah it hit me hard and um it was sort of the start of the year because at christmas we came to a bit of a boom um i write about it in the next book but <laughs> he's okay with me sharing but um and we what would happen was we'd both just grown in different ways yeah we'd grown and, and we were clashing mm-hmm. he didn't he, he was getting used to the sort of person i was becoming and mm-hmm. i was getting used to and then we had to make some compromises as well yeah. and we both needed to slow down yeah and, and get mindful again yeah. so um and, yeah. and start connecting again yeah um turn down the, the noise and, and tune the stations back yeah. together so yeah. that, was, that was really interesting but it's so great that you're able to and I think this is where a lot of people get stuck is that they're not able to take a step back and actually look at things from you know as neutral and unbiased perspective as possible and actually injecting some compassion mm-hmm. like compassion is one of the things I talk a lot about to my clients um compassion is like the only antidote to judgment right mm-hmm. so you have to find compassion where you can but um yeah earlier on this year my husband and I had a a similar thing because um he works from home a lot and I was working from home and he'd been used to me being out every day at an office you know and and things I took my business online this year so I've been at home a lot more and the dynamics shift right Mm -hmm. your kind of role in the relationship shifts and I'd always been employed and the breadwinner and and you know when I set up my business things things change and and when you're in amongst it and you're at the coalface it's really really difficult to take a step back and say hang on a minute look at all these changes that's been happening mm-hmm. no wonder we are kind of at each other's throats or whatever it is mm-hmm. and giving yourself both a break like yeah. injecting some compassion and saying no wonder we are where we are yeah you know it's uh, 
yeah compassion goes a long way (laughs) self-compassion we're great at giving it to others right yeah it it goes and it's equally important both ways isn't it yeah compassion I was writing down my values earlier because you know someone was to say to you what are your values? I don't know if you would know off the head or to yeah. some people have like five values or whatever. Yeah. I'm never that organized, but I was writing down just to be sure are my values the same as they were mm-hmm. a year ago and compassion and empathy kind yeah. of were in there. Yeah. Um, do you think about that sort of, well, imagine you do. Yeah. Yeah, I do. And it's, you're right. You can write down the values, but it's like whether those are about the, giving or whether it's about you know to others or whether it's about giving it to yourself and mm-hmm. um, so empathy and compassion you know that's great that you're giving that out to other people but you have to give it to yourself as well mm-hmm. so um trying to sort of look at things in in that respect and turning the lens inward as well as well as looking mm-hmm. outward mm-hmm. um but yeah it's a good reminder to come back to your own values and your own beliefs yeah. and how you carry out life you know and if you're in alignment with that because if you're not that's a lot of the time where the suffering happens right when you're not in alignment when your yeah. actions and values that's when yeah and it, your actions aren't in alignment with your values or your beliefs yeah and a lot of the time i get my clients to write down what their values and beliefs are, particularly when it comes to fat phobia, mm-hmm. through the lens of fat phobia, because a lot of the time um, my clients are worried about starting the intuitive eating process in case they, I mean, we it's not a weight loss method. We don't know what's going to happen to your weight when you become an intuitive eater. You might lose weight, you might put on weight, you may stay the same, who knows? that you have to put that on the back burner. But there is this underlying fear of gaining weight. Mm -hmm. Um, And in order to really move past that, you have to look at um, what's your biases essentially against fat people? What's your beliefs when it comes to fat people? And I have my clients write them down and really challenge them. So it's like, I believe fat people are, and whatever it may be, and a lot of the times we're not proud of what comes out on the paper mm-hmm. um you know that fat people are lazy or fat people are stupid and then it's a case of well you need to get really really critical about this and challenge those beliefs mm-hmm. and find examples go out into the world it was interesting yesterday when i was in a room full of lawyers i was like you need to you need to prove your beliefs wrong when it comes to those things you need mm-hmm. to go out and find people that are running marathons mm-hmm. when they're in a bigger body or people who were sat around the table that were successful lawyers mm-hmm. in bigger bodies your body size and shape has no inherent value on your worth as a person mm-hmm. but it's about challenging those and, and often you know when I ask clients to write that down they're really quite appalled because they're like this isn't in alignment with my values mm-hmm. I really believe that everyone um, regardless of race or ability or skin color deserves respect so why then am I do I have the, these biases mm-hmm. you know it's, it's a really interesting concept because and the whole purpose for doing that dismantling the fat phobia is because if you hold fat phobia towards other people you hold it towards yourself right ah interesting and the only way that you can actually become less fat phobic towards yourself is to dismantle your fat phobic beliefs towards others Mm. so so that's where this work really comes back to as you say values and beliefs yeah um because i believe all the, the women that i work with you know have 
have um well we all have our own values and beliefs but they're they're inherently really wonderful people mm-hmm. um so it's just sort of breaking that down and dismantling it and 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 people really start to blame themselves but it's like you know we're all living in a world where we are socially conditioned in certain ways we live in a diet culture we live in a culture where fat is demonized mm-hmm. um so you can't take the the blame individually yeah you know our culture and our society really has to take um a lot of that that blame and um yeah just see how you can work through it i love that so at the heart of it it's not our fault if if we judge people um it's it's not really who we are yeah we, we do all want to respect everyone we I do all want so. to love people we do all want connection yeah it's just that we take on some of the nonsense yeah. because we all just want to feel safe and secure and loved right we mm. want to avoid judgment so that we can feel and that's you know as human beings that's just how we've evolved from you know, caveman, cavewoman days. Uh-huh. Um, in order to feel secure, you need to be part of the tribe. You need to be accepted into the tribe, right? Ah, right. And if so, if you're not socially accepted, mm-hmm. you're not going to be in the tribe. You're gonna you're gonna be um sort of pushed out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I think that's where a lot of this fear of judgment comes from. It is very, very natural for us to feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when you begin to break it down and understand what's happening, mm-hmm. and that plays out in a lot of ways. I, I hear a lot of women say body comparison is a big. It's a big way where that plays out. Right. You're walking down the street and you're comparing, or you walk into a restaurant and you're comparing mm-hmm. other women's bodies to yourself, and mm-hmm. that's ultimately like you're just trying to figure out where you are in this hierarchy you're just trying to figure out you know am I safe or am I not safe yes yes that is that is really interesting it's all nonsense isn't it yeah think about it yeah it's all nonsense it's such a it's such a huge um it's such a huge topic. I mean, I know we were here today to speak about intuitive eating, but it does go into body image. It goes into values and beliefs. It goes into trust, compassion. All these things are all inherently connected because we need food to stay alive. It's like we can't... That's where it differs from drugs and alcohol because essentially you can tr- you can try to reject those things from your life right mm. and you can try to abstain but you can't abstain from food i know <laughs> so hard thankfully you can't abstain from so food hard. Yeah. well congrats on all the amazing work you do thank you i'm sure it's really nice to hear of such positive role models and coaches and i yeah. just think it's fabulous thank so. you so much it was great speaking to you and um Great to have the cake. Oh, thank you. Well, you can enjoy that now intuitively if your body so requires. And uh, what song have you picked? Oh, my gosh. So um, one of my favourite songs, and I'm the worst singer. I just want to caveat that. all have a voice. Uh, The worst singer. And also, like, I also have to say, I'm never good at knowing the words. And my husband would attest to this. I make up my own words. Uh, yes, do you do that all the time? Um, <laughs> and it's really embarrassing. But um, my fa- so my favorite song. I'm I'm a, a '90s teenager at heart. Oh, yeah, so I'm gonna choose Alanis Morissette. Thank you. Oh, brilliant! I'm so excited to play this. <laughs> well, thank you. You've been fabulous. Thank so you so much. Keep Appreciate inspiring. It. Keep yeah. being you, and yeah. um, can't wait to see what what comes yeah our paths will cross again i'm sure we're enjoying the journey as well we're enjoying i'm happy right now why does it always have to be like 
can't wait to see what comes in the next few years. It's like, well, let's just enjoy what's happening now. Yeah, I think we are. <laughs> yeah, I think we are. Yeah. I think there's real joy there. Yeah. Another wild swim soon? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I, I should have done it over the summer rather than when it's starting to get colder yeah. now. But um, yeah, maybe if uh, someone can organise one of them soon. We'll I'm thinking about doing do one. Um, a wetsuit I may purchase oh, yeah. for winter. Yeah, yeah. Because it was That's a good call. Freezing in I turned up in my bathing suit and my flip-flops yeah. like I was in the Bahamas. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> until International Women's Day. Yeah, it's it? International Women's Day. Yeah, that was March. Fab. End of March. 6am. <laughs> something like that no it was beautiful it was beautiful but yeah we'll get something we'll, we'll get, get something, something organized and if anyone listening wants to dabble in your local or you want to come in specially for it then keep posted over the next uh, few weeks lots of love said this song are so so good Alanis Morissette thank you um, check it out add it to your playlist or have a listen I always love hearing what people say Brings me back this one. How about getting off of those antibiotics? How about stopping eating when I'm full of? We can all relate to that lyric, can't we, guys? How about them transparent dangling carrots? How about that ever-elusive good old? Oh, yeah. Thank you, India. Thank you, terror. Thank you, disillusion. Thank you, frailty. Thank you, consequence. Thank you, thank you, silence. I'm feeling like a bit of silence. How about me not blaming you for everything? Hard to do, isn't it? Very hard to do. How about me enjoying the moment for once? She was ahead of her time, this girl. How about how good it feels to finally forgive you? That's freedom right there. How about grieving it all one at a time? I love this song. Thank you, India. Thank you, terror. Thank you, disillusionment. Thank you, frailty. Thank you, consequence. Thank you. Yeah, two kids at home over the holidays, so uh, silence is going to be good for a lot of us as they go back to school. I think for me it's magical but mental in equal measures. I jumped off of it, was the moment I touched down. How about no longer being that so kissed? How about remembering your divinity? How about unbash 
consciously balding your eyes out. Sometimes we need to check out my latest blog, mummyjojo.com, for that one. How about not equating death without stopping? Oh yeah, baby. Thank you, India. Thank you, Providence. Thank you, disillusionment. Thank you, nothingness. Thank you, clarity. Thank you, thank you, silence. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I really, really enjoyed going back to the 90s. Jillian, what a girl. Thank you so much for giving us a bit of your soul, for giving us a song you love, for showing up fully to help inspire change and to build up our mojo. Yes, you're awesome, guys. Thank you for being here. I'll tag Jillian in all of the social posts, so check her out and give her some support. Mwah.